Christian author and philosopher G.K. Chesterton once wrote that romance is the deepest thing in life. Romance is even deeper than reality. And this is why in the fifth and final week of Metro at the Movies 2017, we're gonna be exploring the number one romance movie from the past year, a movie called La La Land. Now, La La Land's a throwback to the days when Hollywood churned out classic romantic musicals like Singing in the Rain, The Sound of Music, West Side Story, My Fair Lady, and Fiddler on the Roof. You just don't see many movies like this anymore. It was a breath of fresh air to a lot of people. Well-done musicals are powerful because they teach us that some emotion is so intense that it can't be put into mere words. It must be sung. It must be danced. Musicals turn love into art and turn a love story into something greater, something purer, something closer to true romance. But when you hear Chesterton say that romance is the deepest thing in life, it begs for a definition, doesn't it? I mean, what is romance anyway? What is it that makes something romantic? I think probably the best explanation of it I've ever seen is from a book called The Sacred Romance by Brent Curtis and John Eldridge. Here's what they say. Romance has most often come to us in the form of two deep desires. The longing for adventure that requires something of us and the desire for intimacy, to have someone truly know us for ourselves, while at the same time inviting us to know them in the naked and discovering ways that lovers come to know each other on the marriage bed. These two desires come together in all of us as a longing to be in a relationship of heroic proportions. I think that's right. Something is romantic when it combines intimacy and adventure when it requires deep love and heroic sacrifice. As children, we experience romance through fairy tales, right? I mean, the best fairy tales contain true romance in the true sense of the word. There are ogres and evil sorcerers and wicked stepmothers, but they're not the whole story, nor even the heart of the story. There are also heroes and heroines and a romantic love to live for that is worth dying for. There is a quest filled with danger and the stakes of love could not be higher. So when Chesterton says that romance is the deepest thing in life, what he means is that the deepest longings of the human heart are for intimacy and adventure. It's what we were made for. And we see this as we're introduced to the two main characters of the movie La La Land. Their names are Mia and Sebastian. So anyway, I left college after two years to come here, and um, my last audition was for a teen soap pitched as Dangerous Minds Meets the O.C. So, yeah. Should have been a lawyer. Because the world needs more lawyers. <laughs> it doesn't need more actresses. You're not just an actress. What do you mean, just an actress? You study yourself. You're a, you're a child prodigy playwright. That is not what I said. Well, you're too modest to say it, but it's true. So you could just write your own roles, you know? Write something that's as interesting as you are, and you don't have to audition for this. Yeah. Uh, caca. Look at Louis Armstrong, you know? He could have just played the marching band charts that he was given, but he didn't do What did he do? What did he do? Well, he made history, didn't he? Well, I'm gonna stop auditioning, and I'm gonna make history instead. Well, my work is done here. I should probably tell you something now, just to get it out of the way. Mm -hmm. I hate jazz. Are you okay? What do you mean you hate jazz? It just means that when I listen to it, I don't like it. Yeah, but it's such a blanket statement you don't like jazz. What are you doing right now? Nothing. 
just think that people, when they say that they, you know, hate jazz, they just, they don't have context. They don't know where it comes from. You know? it, jazz was born in a little flop house in New Orleans, and it just, because people were crammed in there, they spoke five different languages, they couldn't talk to each other. The only way they could communicate was with jazz. You know, what about Kenny J? What? What about Kenny G? I mean, what about elevator music? You know, jazz music that I know. What about it? For my life. Mm -hmm. I just, I mean, I, I find it relaxing. It's mostly. not relaxing. It's not. It's not. Sidney Bechet shot somebody because they told him he played a wrong note. That's hardly relaxing. Yeah, but where I grew up, there was this station called K-Jazz 103, and people would just put on that station when they had a cocktail party, and everyone would kind of just talk over it. I know. It was, that's the problem. Okay, okay. So I think that that's part of the problem is that you can't hear it. You know, you have to see it. You have to see what's at stake. I mean, look at these fellas. Look at look at the, the, the sax player right now. He just hijacked the song. He's on his own trip. Every one of these guys is composing, they're rearranging, they're writing, and they're playing the melody. They're just, and now look, the trumpet player, he's got his own idea. And so it's conflict and it's compromised and it's just, it's new every time. It's brand new every night. It's very, very exciting. And it's dying. It's dying, man. It's dying on the vine. And the world says, let it die. It had its time. Well, not on my watch. What are you gonna do? I'm gonna have my own club. Really? Yes. And we're gonna play whatever we want, whenever we want, however we want, as long as it's pure jazz. Mia and Sebastian both have dreams, and they are thrilled to share them with each other. This is the essence of romance. It's the mingling of intimacy with adventure. And these longings are true of every human heart. And the reason we crave them is because when God created us, he dropped us into the middle of an eternal and exciting love story. Once upon a time, in the beginning, before time even began, there was a sacred romance, a relationship marked by deeper intimacy than you could ever imagine, an adventure filled with infinite glory and beauty. We're told about it in the Gospel of John, where we see the very first once upon a time. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. We learn a few verses later that the Word is actually the Son of God, the one we know by the name Jesus. Throughout John's Gospel, we get glimpses of the relationship between the Father and Son before time began. We see the Son talking to his Father, where he says, Father, you loved me before the creation of the world. We see the Son talking about his Father. He tells us, I love the Father. And we see the Son describing his relationship to the Father where he says, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. The great story, the story of God, begins not with God alone, but God in relationship, with eternal intimacy beyond our wildest imagination. The most fundamental thing to understand about God is that he is a father who has a son that he loves and he's a son who has a father that he loves and they have always loved each other with an everlasting and infinite love through the Holy Spirit. The story of God is the story of the love affair between father, son, and spirit. 
and they have a consuming desire to express and share their love. And it's the motive behind everything they ever say and everything they ever do, including the creation of the universe and especially the creation of you and me. This means that you and I were created to share in the sacred romance. Here's the way Jesus put it in John 17, 26. He says, Father, I made known to them your name and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. In other words, God's a father who has a son that he loves and he wants us to love him too. It's why we exist. You and I were created to enter into the sacred romance and join God the Father in loving his son. We were made for the intimacy and adventure of a love affair with the Son of God. To get very specific, we were created to become the sons and daughters of God and to become the bride of Jesus who shares in the family spirit. A summary of the sacred romance would be this. God is a father who has a son that he loves and he wants to give him a bride. To illustrate this as God's purpose for us, he creates human marriage between a man and a woman to give us a picture of the kind of intimacy and adventure he wants to have, wants us to have with his son forever. It says this in Ephesians 5, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. Isaiah 62 puts it like this. It says, As the bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so shall your God rejoice over you. We were created to be the bride of Christ with all the intimacy, all the pleasure, and all the adventure that goes with it. Now, as a man, I must admit that this bridal imagery puts me off a little bit, right? I don't typically think of myself as a bride. And this is a problem I think a lot of men have with Christianity in general, especially with some of the songs we sing. Write songs like Jesus We Love You where we tell him that our hearts adore him and we want to pour out our affection on his feet. But the truth is that God wants a deep and passionate relationship with us, both men and women alike. God is not like one of your bros from work where he just wants small talk. And, and let me tell you something, I have seen the hearts of so many men just melt in God's presence when they truly experience his love for them. I mean, just last week, big strong biker named Jesse just wept right in front of me talking about Jesus and it was awesome for both of us. Look, as men and women, I get it, we want to be chosen for different reasons. But we both want to be chosen. We both want to be welcomed into the drama. We both want real love. We both want real adventure. And this is what it means to be the bride of Christ. And this is why God made us. He made us for this love story, and it is thrilling as it begins. After creating us, God begins our courtship with a handmade present called the Garden of Eden, filled with pungent flowers, exquisite fruit, breathtaking beauty, exotic creatures of every kind, and the highest and best kinds of pleasure to enjoy. And he invites us to walk with him in a life of growing intimacy and adventure. Now listen, if you've ever been in love, you know what new romance is like. It is thrilling, and that's how it was in the beginning in the Garden of Eden. And that's how it is in the beginning for Mia and Sebastian.
people were looking to the night sky and noticed a star, increasingly bright and increasingly near. As this star approaches us, Jim Starr, I'll go find a place. I'm sorry. As this star approaches us, the weather will change. The great polar fields of the north and south will rot and divide, and the seas will turn warm. The last of us search the heavens and stand amazed, for the stars will still be there.
Love can make you feel like you're just floating on air, can't it? And it's the essence of everything beautiful and good. But there's always a cost to love. It's called freedom. You can't have love without freedom. So out of the wildness and goodness of God's heart, he gives us freedom. Freedom that enables us to love him, but also freedom that enables us to choose another lover. And almost before our story with God even gets started, his love gets betrayed. First, a group of the angels in heaven rebel and become Satan and his demons. And then before we even reach chapter 3 of the Bible, right after God begins his courtship of us in the garden, our lover's heart gets questioned and rejected. Can you imagine if you were on a date with someone who wants to marry you and one of you sneaks off for a rendezvous with a perfect stranger? Adam and Eve kicked off their romance with God by sleeping with the enemy. They traded God for a piece of fruit and paradise was lost. Yet, there was something about the heart of God and his son that had not yet been seen. It's called grace and it is surprising and spectacular and more heroic than anything we could have ever imagined. Here, at the lowest point in our relationship, they announced their intention never to abandon us but to seek us out and win us back. Now the story goes from bad to worse as sin and death spread throughout the land. The flood was definitely one of the worst moments. And by the time we get to the prophets in the Old Testament, author Philip Yancey says it's like hearing a lover's quarrel through the apartment wall. As we eavesdrop, we hear God lament over the adultery of his people. Which, by the way, is what the Bible calls sin. Sin is adultery. It is cheating on the bridegroom you were made for. In the wildness and freedom of love, there is a moment of decision in every romance. Is this the one I'm going to give my heart to? Or will I choose another lover? In our movie, the hopes and dreams of Mia and Sebastian are put to the test under the pressures and temptations of life. As we pick up the story, Sebastian has already compromised his love for jazz. He's joined a pop band in order to grow up and make more money. And in the process, he's begun to lose the adventure of the romance. And it has started to cause some really big problems. So nice to be home. I'm so glad you're home. When do you leave? The morning? <clears throat> yeah. 6.45. Boise. Boise? Boise. To Boise. You should come. To Boise? Yeah, you can knock that off your bucket list. Oh, that would be really exciting. I wish I could. What are you doing after the tour? Why can't you? Come to Boise? Yeah. Because I have to rehearse. Yeah, but can't you rehearse anywhere? Anywhere you are? I mean, I guess. Um. Well, all my stuff is here, and it's in two weeks, so I don't really think that would be okay. the best idea well, right now, but I wish I could. <clears throat> We're just going to have to try and see each other, you know, just never see each other. I know, but when are you done? What do you mean? I mean... When you finish with the whole tour. But after we finish, we're going to go record, and then we go back on tour. You know, we tour so we can make the record, so we can go back and tour the record. So it's like the long haul. 
What do you mean the long haul? I mean the long haul, like you're gonna stay in this band for a long time. On tour. I mean, what did you think I was gonna do? I don't, I, I hadn't really thought it through. I didn't know that the band was You so didn't important. think it would be successful? Um. No, that's not really what I mean. I just mean that, you, you, I mean, you're gonna be on tour for what, months now, years? Yeah, I don't be, this is it. I mean, this is, it, it could feasibly be, yeah, for, a, I could be on tour with this for a couple years at least, just this record. Do you like the music you're playing? I don't, I don't know what, what it matters. Well, it matters because if you're gonna give up your dream, I think it matters that you like what you're playing on the road for years. Do you like the music I'm playing? Yeah. I do. I just didn't think that you did. Yeah, well, you, you know. You always said the... Keith is the worst, and now you're gonna be on tour with him for years, so I just didn't. I don't know, what, what are you doing No, right if now? you were happy. Why are you doing this? I don't. <laughs> I thought you, you wanted me to do this. It just sounds like now you don't want me to do it. What do you mean, I wanted you to do this? This is what you wanted from me. To be in this band? To be in a band, to have a steady job, you know? To, to, to be, you know? Of course I wanted you to have a steady job so that you could take care of yourself and your life and you could start your club. Yeah, so I'm doing that, so I don't understand. Like, why aren't we celebrating? Why aren't you starting your club? You said yourself no one wants to go to that club. No one wants to go to a club called Chicken on a Stick. So change the name. Well, no one likes jazz, not even you. I do like jazz now because and of you. And this is what I thought you wanted me to do. What am I supposed to do? Go back to playing Jingle Bells? I'm not saying that. I'm saying Scraping why don't you pennies take so I can start what you've a club made and, no and one start the club? That people will want to go to it because you're passionate about it, and people love what other people are passionate about. You remind people of what uh, they forgot. Not my experience. Well, whatever. All right. I mean, it is. It's just. It's time to grow up. You know. I have a steady job. This is what I'm doing. And now all of a sudden, if you had these problems, I wish you would have said them earlier before I signed on the dotted line. I'm pointing out that you had a dream, that you followed, that you were sticking to. This is to. the dream. This is the dream. This is not Guys your dream. Guys like me work their whole lives to be in something that's successful, that people like, you know? I mean, I'm finally in something that, 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 that people enjoy. Since when do you care about being matter. liked? Why do you care so much about being liked? You're an actress. What are you talking about? <sighs> Maybe you just liked me because it made you feel better about yourself. Are you kidding? No.
Just like Adam and Eve chose another lover in the garden, Mia and Sebastian appear to have made their choice, and it is not each other. But in God's sacred romance, he has a plan for his son's adulterous bride, a plan so scandalous and spectacular that it will take everyone by surprise. After 400 years of separation and silence between the Old and New Testaments, where there were no more prophets speaking for God, Jesus, our bridegroom himself, clothes himself as a beggar, renounces his throne, and comes to win back the hand of his beloved. He loves us so much that he lays down his life in order to rescue us from our enemies and purchase our freedom from the prison of sin. Greater love the world has never seen. Jesus suffered for us, was killed for us, but that was just the beginning of the scandal and surprise. Breaking into the darkest moment of all human history comes the most surprising and creative and spectacular marriage proposal in the history of the world. Our lover and hero rises from the dead, victorious over death, not only for himself but also for us. And now, back from the dead, he stands before us and looks us in the eye on bended knee and says, will you turn away from your other lovers? and marry me. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest, he says. Notice he refers to us as the weary and the burdened. This is because we knows we, he knows we've been looking for intimacy and adventure in all the wrong places our entire lives. When we turned away from him in the garden, we were cut off from the romance, and all we were left with were shadows and echoes of it. Not only that, but the world we live in, it's a fallen and a broken world that's filled with the enemies of the romance. John Eldridge and Brent Curtis call these shadows and echoes of the romance, they call them the hauntings. And they call these enemies the arrows. The hauntings, you know what these are like, right? They're any moment of intimacy and beauty and adventure that we experience in this life. If we will listen, the sacred romance calls to us every moment of our lives. It whispers to us on the wind, invites us through the laughter of good friends, reaches out to us through the touch of someone we love. We've heard it in our favorite music, experienced it in our accomplishments, felt it when we made love, sensed it at the birth of our first child, been drawn to it while watching the shimmer of a sunset on the ocean. There is something magical about these things, something romantic. But the problem with all of these hauntings is that's exactly what they are, hauntings. As romantic as they seem in the moment, they are just shadows and echoes of the romance we were made for. They're never full enough and they don't last long enough. The minute we grasp for them, we wind up with empty hands and disappointed hearts. And the arrows are even more haunted. The arrows are the moments of great personal suffering and disappointment. They include being rejected, betrayed, abused, or neglected. They include moments of tragedy, including the illness of a child, the loss of a marriage, or the death of someone we love. Something calls to us through experiences like these and rouses an inconsolable longing deep within our hearts. When we experience the hauntings and the arrows, our hearts are telling us the truth. There really is something missing, and we all know it. The only question is, how will we deal with it? 
Most people either just get busy doing something to take their mind off it, maybe a job or a sport or a hobby. They choose to medicate their hearts through some kind of indulgence like an affair, a drug, or pornography. And life becomes a cycle of denial, busyness, and addiction. And we just become weary and burdened. But, but the mystery is that this is exactly the way God wants it. He wants us to realize that we were made for something more and something better than this world has to offer. C.S. Lewis once wrote, If I find in myself desires which nothing in this world can satisfy, the only logical explanation is that I was made for another world. To put it bluntly, we were made for Jesus. To be his bride and spend eternity loving him and sharing adventures with him. And absolutely nothing else will ever satisfy us. And in the midst of our disillusionment and disappointment, he proposes to us, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. He comes to us and invites us back into a life of intimacy and adventure with him. He offers to quench our thirsty hearts. He offers us a second chance at the dream. And in our movie, as in almost every good romance, there's a parallel to this. Just when you thought Mia and Sebastian were done, Sebastian pursues Mia in her dreams one last time. Because I have good news. What? Amy Brandt, the casting director. Yeah. She was at your play. And she loved it. And she loved it so much that she wants you to come in tomorrow and audition for this huge movie that she's got. I'm not going to that. I'm not going to that. What? That one's going to be, no. That one's going to be. I'm sorry? That will kill me. What? 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 Shh! Stop! No! Shh! Shh! You have to be quiet. If you, you want me to, call, then you have to make sense. If you want me to be quiet, you have to make some sense. You tell me why you're, you're gonna not going. Because, because why? I've been to a million auditions, and the same thing happens every time, where I get interrupted because someone wants to get a sandwich, or I'm crying, and they start laughing, or there's people sitting in the waiting room, and they're, and they're like me, but prettier, <clears> and better at the, because maybe I'm not good enough. Yes, you are. No. No, maybe I'm not. Yes, you are. Maybe I'm not. You are. Maybe I'm not. You are. Maybe I'm one of those people that has always wanted to do it, but it's like a pipe dream for me, you know? And then you you set it. You, you change your dreams and then you grow up. Maybe I'm one of those people and I'm not supposed to. And I can go back to school and I can find something else that I'm supposed to do because I left to do that, and it's been six years, and I don't want to do it anymore. Why? 
Why what? Why don't you want to do it anymore? Because they think it hurts a little bit too much. You're a baby. <laughs> I'm not a baby. You I'm are. trying to grow up. You have an audition tomorrow at 5.30. I'll be out front at 8 a.m. You'll be out front or not. I don't know. How did you find me here? The house in front of the library. Okay, great. Even if just for a moment, Mia and Sebastian's dreams were raised from the dead, they had hope again. They had a second chance that promised to be even better than before. Let me tell you, sometimes resurrection is better than if you never died. This is definitely true in our romance with God. We were dead in our sins and Jesus offers us a second chance in a new life that is even better than what we lost in the garden. Those who say yes to his proposal, turning away from other lovers and back to him, begin a lifelong engagement to him. The first thing he does is he gives us an engagement ring in the person of the Holy Spirit. And once we are engaged to him, he calls us to say, yes to the dress. Here's how Ephesians 5 says it. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. Listen, when we say yes to Jesus and receive the Holy Spirit, when we say yes to the dress, immediately the Spirit begins a lifelong process of changing us and shaping us and getting us ready for our wedding day in heaven. Jesus wants us to be dressed a certain way, way when the wedding day comes. He wants us to be holy and without blemish. And everything that happens in our lives is for this purpose, both the good things and the bad things. The purpose of life on earth is to prepare us for the consummation of our marriage to Jesus in heaven. And this now becomes the meaning of everything, including the hauntings and including the arrows. Everything is now filled with hope. Neither the hauntings nor the arrows are the end of the story. Every haunting is a small but growing foretaste of the intimacy, beauty, and adventure of heaven, increasing our longing for it and increasing the intimacy we have with our bridegroom and every arrow becomes our surgeon's knife or our father's discipline, freeing us from the cancers and the childish ignorance that draw our hearts to other lovers. And we begin to wait excitedly and patiently for our wedding day, enabling us to enjoy the hauntings and endure the arrows while we wait. We can now love without fear, suffer without despair, endure with patience. And like any good engagement, our relationship with Jesus is marked 
by a growing intimacy, a growing adventure as we approach the wedding day. We begin to experience more and more of his love and more and more of the thrill of his mission, but the consummation must wait. We are already his, but not yet fully. We must wait patiently. The hauntings will still only be shadows and echoes and the arrows will still come. We must not grow impatient or give ourselves once again to other lovers. His word, the Bible, is his love letter to us, telling us how to be faithful to him while we wait. And then one day it will come. Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters and like the sound of many peals of thunder, crying out, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty, reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and the bride has made herself ready. And then on our wedding night, Revelation 2 says, Our beloved will give us a white stone with a private name written on it, that will only be known between the two of us. And so we'll begin an eternity of the deepest intimacy and the greatest adventure you could ever imagine. No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no human mind has even conceived the things that God has prepared for those that love him. And so here we all are at a crossroads of decision as Shakespeare once said, all the world is a stage and we are merely players. We are part of a bigger story, a sacred romance. So what will our part be? Will we be engaged to Jesus and remain faithful to him to the end? Will we enjoy the hauntings and endure the arrows as preparation from he for heaven? Or will we turn away from him to a different lover and a different adventure? In this last clip, we will see where Mia and Sebastian are with this question as it relates to their romance. When do you find out? Um, they said the next couple days, but I'm not expecting to find anything out. You're gonna get it. I really might not. I'm yes, you are. I'm disappointed. I know, I know. I know these things. Where are we? Rivers Park. Where are we? I don't know. What do we do? I don't think we can do anything. Because when you get this... If I get this. When you get this... You gotta give it everything you got. Everything. It's your dream. What are you gonna do? I gotta follow my own plan, you know? Stay here, get my own thing going. You're gonna be in Paris. Good jazz there. And you love jazz then. Right? I guess we're just gonna have to wait and see. I'm always gonna love you. I'm always gonna love you too.
Look at this view. <gasps> I've seen better. It's the worst. Yeah. I've never been here during the day. So this is the question Jesus is asking you and me today. Where are we? Will you give me your whole heart? Or will you give your heart to someone or something else? I won't completely spoil the ending of the movie for you if you haven't seen it, but Mia and Sebastian chose their careers over each other and they lived with regret the rest of their lives. Don't be like them when it comes to Jesus. Don't trade the sacred romance for cheap substitutes. Don't settle for less wild lovers. Jesus is just better in every way.